listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. at verses 6 through 11, and there is absolutely no series that this message is attached to. Advent is over. Jesus Christ has come. We know that. Amen. And, uh, and we continue to celebrate that today, and yet Advent season, as we know it, is over. And next Sunday, we begin a three-week sermon series on prayer. But today, you're just going to hear from my pastoral heart uh, God's word as it comes to bear on us from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. This is something that is just burdening my heart, and I have the opportunity by God's grace to share it with you this morning. And just so you know, um, this, this message is aimed at the Christian. Um, if you are here this morning and you would not identify with the claims of Christ, it is also good for you. God's word is always good, but I just want you to know my aim as a pastoral's heart on this first Sunday, January 1, 2023, that this is geared toward the Christian for it's a message about sanctification, sanctification. So really quick, and this isn't the sermon, but I just want to do a little unpacking before we get to the text. We can simplify salvation, as it were, into three different stages. Okay, so if you like to take notes and you want a, a quick lesson on this, here we go. The first stage of salvation is something that we call justification. There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. So just, justification is just one of the many shuns uh, that if we were to do a look at all of salvation and all of its order, we could look at a whole bunch, but those are the three that we're going to use this morning just for sake our sake. Stage one, justification is an act whereby God legally declares that a sinner is pardoned completely from her sin and accepts her righteous in his sight. It's a legal activity done by God, holy of God, justification, okay? He does the work. It's a single act. It's one and done. Stage three, jump over a little bit. Stage one, justification. Stage three is what? Glorification. And this is when salvation sees its end. It's final. It's when the whole person, body and soul, is completely united with Christ. On that final day, we will have a resurrected body. Our body will be glorified, and the Holy Spirit will do this work alone. So justification, glorification, and then in the middle is this thing, stage two, called sanctification. Right on. Sanctification is this process whereby God is renewing us as his people, having already declared us righteous in justification. We already are legally his. Nothing can change that because of the blood of Jesus and his work on the cross. God now works in our hearts and minds in sanctification to see that our minds our wills, our affections, our behaviors, everything about us is transformed. And this is the part of the Christian life that we spend the most time in, 
on this earth. Unless you trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins right on your deathbed, which is rare, right? The majority of us are going to spend most of our Christian life on this earth in the stage two process called sanctification. And sanctification, friends, is not easy. Most of you are in here today, and if you're a Christian, you're in the process of sanctification, and you would agree with me, yes, that it is not easy. It's often very difficult. It's not a bed of roses, and yet it's, got, it's part of God's plan to save his people. Sanctification, that's what the message is about today. So as we begin a new year, 2023, my challenge and encouragement for you today in this year is to press on in the faith. Press on in the faith that God has begun in you. And we know that scripture tells us the work that God begins in us, he is sure to complete it. And here we are in the middle of a difficult process, yet beautiful one called sanctification. And my encouragement, my exhortation to you as your pastor, one of your pastors is to say, press on in the faith that God has granted you, that God has given you. Or more succinctly, my challenge for us, the people of God, is to persevere in the faith persevere in the faith. As we look forward to the new year, 2023, uh, I want us to first look back just a couple of hundred years where a young Adoniram Judson, anybody heard that name before? Adoniram Judson and his wife of just two weeks set sail to India in the early 1800s. And initially, they had hoped to work alongside such missionaries like William Carey in Calcutta, India. But as they worked there for just a short while, they began to be burdened for a people in Burma that had no gospel access. And so the Judsons go over to Burma and they begin to work among those people, learning the language, figuring out at some point how to translate a Bible into their language and to see that men and women would come to Christ. Now the Judsons labored for 12 years initially and only saw 18 converts. 12 years, 18 converts. But that hardly counts as the difficulty that was to be their life. For while in Burma, Adoniram was twice widowed, married a third time, and lost three children to death. He was arrested and he was imprisoned on false charges of being an English spy, although he was an American, and he was caged like an animal would have been in a bamboo cage, sitting in the hot tropical sun, and was tortured there for over 17 months. This tortured man is attributed to the saying, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Now, you and I may not follow in the footsteps like the Judsons, having gone overseas into missionary work there, but we will certainly face in our Christian life, in the process that is sanctification, hardship, adversity, and great suffering. Perhaps you find yourself there right now, dear brother and sister. 
The question before us is, will you fall away or will you persevere? Will you fall away or will you persevere? I want us to walk away from our time together this morning knowing that Christian perseverance is an invitation for you and I to look more like Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Christian perseverance is an invitation for you and I to look more like Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. If you're there with me, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? I'll read it out loud. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peter is writing here to Christians who are dispersed in, according to chapter 1, verse 1, these places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The letter is written to primarily Gentile Christians, although some Jewish Christians are certainly in mind, and they are a people who are suffering as a result of their Christian faith. Now, scholars disagree as to the time period, uh, whether they were being physically persecuted or not, but there's certainly verbal persecution going on. They're being maligned for their religious faith, much like the time that you and I experience today here in Georgia in 2023. Not necessarily being physically punished for our faith in the areas that we find ourselves with, but if we are outspoken enough, certainly maligned because of the way that we communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's writing to that kind of people, a suffering people, and he writes to them to persevere. So with that in mind, I want us to see four surprising ingredients of perseverance. The first is this in verses six through seven, and it's humility. Look there again in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may what? Exalt you, lift you up. This opening phrase here, humble yourselves, it flies in the face of what we often think when we hear the word perseverance, doesn't it? Because perseverance, as we often think of it, is, is putting our head down, putting our hand to the plow and getting to work, despite what the obstacles are that come your way, right? And that is perseverance. I'm not here to change the definition on you. That is what perseverance is. But I do want us to see that our idea of perseverance in the faith should be informed by certain ideas, certain ingredients. And it begins, this verse 6 tells us, with humility. Humility. Perseverance isn't first a posture of strength, but of weakness. It's not first a picture of power, but rather it's one of 
bowing the knee. That's perseverance. Look there in the text at verse five, just above where we began. Peter writes, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now consider this in light of John chapter 13, where Jesus has gathered with his disciples just before he is arrested. There in verse three, John chapter 13, if you're super quick to the fingers, feel free to turn there with me, or you can just listen. But John chapter 13, verse three, we read that Jesus, don't miss this, knowing that the father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Think clothed with humility. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to do what? Wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped, clothed around that man. The Son of God, knowing all the text says that the Father had given to him, the one that had dwelt in glorious, marvelous light for all time and with all splendor before coming to earth as a baby, was now. In what posture? On his knees. Before his disciples, before sinful men, and what is implied in the text because of its context is disgusting, callous-laden feet. And the Savior of the world was bowing his knee, using the towel that had been wrapped around his waist to wash his disciples' feet. If perseverance is an invitation for the saints to look more like Jesus, more like the Son of God, what is Jesus's example here for us? Humility. And for us, Peter says, to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. He goes on in verse seven. Look there with me. Casting all your anxieties on him because he what? He cares for you. For many of us, anxiety is where our lack of humility really shows up. For me, if I'm honest, anxiety is where humility or a lack thereof really shows itself. How so? Spiritually speaking, anxiety is pride. Anxiety says, essentially, I'm not doing a very good job at controlling my circumstances. In fact, I'm extremely scared and nervous about the situation that I find myself in. And at the same time, it says, but I've got it under control. Don't worry about me, God. Anxiety says, I'm so concerned about the week ahead of me and that big test or what she or he might think of me that I can't even sleep. Humility says, God, I am exhausted. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I trust that you're going to meet me. You can trust your father because he's always faithful to provide and meet his children. The word cast here, cast your anxieties 
because he cares for you literally means to throw. Throw all of your anxieties onto Jesus. Now, here's what I wanna do this morning. Along the way, each point, I wanna offer some practical application in the here and now. And my hope is that this would be an extremely tangible message for us to walk away with in the new year. So if we're to persevere in the faith, the question that you and I as Christians in the process of sanctification must ask ourselves, how do we cultivate the humility that is an ingredient in perseverance? How are we to cultivate that humility? Now, you probably heard this quote over the years. It's attached to a lot of different people, but the quote goes like this. Humility is not thinking of your, what is it? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself. Let's see, you all help me. So what does it look like to cultivate such a humility? If we're to be men and women who humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, it means that we're gonna have to think about God more in a different way. And implicit in throwing all of our anxieties upon the Lord is one thing, and that is prayer. How are you and I to throw all of our anxieties? How are we to cast all of our cares upon the Lord? We are to be praying. Think about it. Jesus, the son of God, the second member of the Godhead or the Trinity has forever existed in perfect relational harmony with the Father and the Spirit. And he finds himself in his earthly ministry pulling away from all of the growing pressing crowds. To do what? Pray. Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Godhead or Trinity, finds himself waking up in the early hours before anyone else is awake to do what? Pray. Pray. The way that we are going to cultivate a deep humility in our lives on this process of sanctification, on this journey of perseverance, is that we would humble ourselves before the Lord in the posture that is prayer. On the same night after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and shared communion with them, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and what do they do? Pray. Jesus prays. He prays in such a manner that blood begins to drop from his face. So as the invitation to persevere is in front of you this morning, and God's desire is that you would look more like his son, Jesus, he wants to conform you more into the image of his son, what would it look like for you to cultivate a deeper life of prayer in 2023? Now, I would love for you to take some time, perhaps even today, to discuss that on your ride home over lunch, life group, DNA. Perhaps you have a journal now and you want to write and jot some ways down. What would it look like for you to cultivate a deeper humility through prayer before the Lord in 2023? The second surprising ingredient of perseverance is this, and it's sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness, verse eight, be sober-minded, Peter says. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, 
What's so interesting is that Peter, in verse 8, is calling us to do what he himself failed to do in the Garden of Gethsemane. So just for a second, a different perspective on that night, because Jesus wanted to get alone to do what? Pray as he knew that he would soon be taken by angry men that Judas was going to be bringing, Judas was soon going to betray him with a kiss and that they were going to take him to the execution known as the crucifixion. Jesus knew, knew all of this was going to happen and yet he pulled away in the garden to do some praying. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray, remain here and watch. Watch. Jesus comes back, and what are the disciples doing? They're sleeping. In fact, Jesus comes back three times, and each time finds his disciples sleeping. Peter's telling us, I didn't get this right. I failed to do this before. And I'm, I'm imploring you out of a transformed heart. We must be alert. We must stay awake. We must be a people who are sober-minded. Jesus says it over and over again. Stay awake. Be alert. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, stay awake, be on guard, be alert over six times in that one chapter. Why? Because the devil, Peter says, is seeking someone to devour devour. That text literally reads to drink down. Your adversary has his desire to drink you down. This past week, I was asked to mediate a conflict or dispute between two brothers, but I'm not going to tell you that conflict. Sorry. You would like it. Not really. Y'all, I hate conflict, okay? If, if you know me, you know that conflict is like at the just, it is the antithesis of who I am. I cannot stand conflict. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you this morning that all of my motives for despising conflict were entirely pure and Christ honoring, but they're not. I just don't like conflict. I don't like when I'm at odds with someone. I don't like when someone's at odds with me. And I generally assume that other people are at odds with me, even when they're not at odds with me. I hate conflict. Nevertheless, I am a pastor. It is something I aspire to do. And I know that it is a responsibility of mine to see that the body is unified. That's Christ's desire for his church. And so by God's grace, I step into conflict as he calls me to. And so this evening, I, I was going and prepared to step into the conflict that was asked of me to mediate. And so I thought I was ready. And as that day came, I think there was a couple days notice that we were going to meet on Wednesday night, and it came to me midday. Aha, I have a solution. I won't have to do this alone. I can avoid all of my issues with conflict, and I'm going to text Pastor Caleb because we have been in other conflict mitigation or mediation meetings before, and he does a great job. So I'm going to text Caleb and see if he can be with me. 
And so sure enough, Pastor Caleb says, yeah, man, no problem. Um, my son has an appointment up in Atlanta at 3.30. We certainly will be back on this side of town by 7 p.m. And uh, it's going to be no problem. 6 p.m., hang on. At that point, when he texted me midday, I thought, all is well. I'm good. Conflict's no problem. 6 p.m. rolls around, and I get a text from Caleb, and he says, hey, man, I'm so sorry. We're still in Atlanta. There's no way I'm going to be back here by 7 o'clock. And all of a sudden, I'll be honest with you, my heart and mind was just flooded with anxiety. Just emotions of, I hate conflict. I hate conflict. I hate conflict. I can't do this alone. And would you have it? The Lord in his kindness reminded me ever so quickly, oh, Chris, I'm with you. I'm gonna meet you in your time of need. I'm there. You didn't need Caleb. You needed me. Caleb would have been fine because he's a brother in the Lord. He's one of the co-pastors of this church. That would have been great to have him alongside of you. But what you need in this moment is not his presence. You need my presence. And I just ever so quietly repented before the Lord. Went in and told Dory, I'll just be honest. This is what's happening with me. I'm flooded with emotions. I couldn't do this. And here is what is happening. That's what was happening. It happened just like that, brothers and sisters, just like that. I thought I was here. I was actually here, and the Lord met me. The Lord met me in my time of need. We must stay awake. We must stay awake because in this opportunity just for me as a pastor to go and mitigate or mediate some conflict, I thought, I'm doing the work of the Lord. I'm doing what's required of, required of me. I'm going to walk in the way of the Lord. And just ever so subtly, the adversary who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone, anyone, me, to devour, says, if I could just twist ever so slightly, Chris, focus off of God, and get him ever so subtly to focus on Caleb. I'll have him. I can do whatever I want with Christ's church. And we know that's a lie, but it happens just like that. We must stay awake. The question that I want to bring before you through this text this morning is this. Are you awake to the ways in which the devil himself is trying to put you to sleep? I've shared with you the way that I thought that he was doing it to me this week. What about you? Are you awake to the ways that the devil himself is trying to put you to sleep? Even here in our church community, how is, how is the adversary, the devil, trying to put you to sleep? Is it with your engagement level with the body? If I could just find myself on, you know, one to two Sundays out of four, then that should be good enough, right? Lack of engagement with the body? Or is it with gossiping? If I could just say a couple of things that takes the pressure and shame that I'm feeling off of myself and put it onto another sister or brother so that I feel good in a conversation, 
man, it, that would be just enough, right, to keep me going, to keep me fueled up, to seem like an, I'm an active participant in this body when all the while I'm actually wreaking havoc with my sinful patterns and lack of repentance with my mouth? Is it your hatred of a brother? Is there someone in our body that you just can't stand? Might that be a way in which the adversary, the devil, is using to pounce on you and to sow division in our church, in Christ's church? Here's what I would like to do. A little unorthodox, but I just want to give us a moment to stop and process that before the Lord. So would we just take a few moments? Would you put that question before the Lord? Ask him to search your hearts in what ways, Lord, have I allowed the devil to put me to sleep? Let's pray. I'll conclude us in a moment. Amen. The Father's heart is so, so, so merciful. The third surprising ingredient is perseverance. Of perseverance is suffering. Suffering. Verse 9, look there in the Bible with me. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, I have read 1 Peter countless times of times. It is an incredible book, but I have often thought that this verse was really odd. I'll be honest with you. Because Peter tells us to re resist the devil who's trying to destroy us, devour us. What was the literal word? Anybody remember? Drink down. And he tells us to do it in a rather peculiar way. By knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, that doesn't seem like enough, if I'm honest with you. I think my natural assumption is that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would say something a little more individualistic, as in, resist the devil by memorizing some more scripture, which, by the way, as Luke prayed earlier, will certainly help us. In fact, we want to, as the Bible says, hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. Certainly, that is sure and will be helpful. But I think that that is something that Peter might have said. Or resist the devil by not watching certain movies or giving yourself to certain entertainment. And by all means, the Bible says that we are to flee from sexual immorality, that we're not to put ourselves in front of any appearance of evil for sure. Or I'm thinking that we're, we're, we're to resist the Lord or we're to resist the devil by reciting the Lord's prayer, which Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray. So it's a good prayer. But that's not what the sovereign God inspired Peter 2,000 years ago to write here, is it? 
No, he wanted us to see that we as individuals that have been justified, stage one, and are in the process of sanctification are not just individuals, but that we are members of the body of Christ, and that is global. That you can't possibly for one second start to think about yourself as an individual or else what will happen? The devil will drink you down. Will drink you down. And that this was going to be the very thing that we needed to resist the devil. Why in the world would we need to be reminded 2,000 years later of our brothers and sisters who are suffering in other parts of the world because we were not created to be in Christ alone or individually. We were saved into a family. Please do not miss this, brothers and sisters. Isolation will kill you. Isolation will kill you. It is what the devil will use to devour you. And I will not say this enough times. It is what the devil will use and wants to use and probably is using to drink you down. That's why the New Testament is filled with imperative after imperative to care and love and go after and rebuke and restore brothers and sisters in truth and love. It's why Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 exhorts us not to neglect gathering with the saints. That's why the Sunday gathering is such a vital, important part of the Christian's life. The devil would want nothing more, hear this, than for you to think that you are suffering alone. Because if he can convince you that you are suffering alone, he has convinced you of a world of lies. A world of lies. The devil would want nothing more than to convince you of that, that no one else will know what it's like that no one else knows the kinds of suffering that you're facing and that you'll just have to deal with your suffering on your own. That's the, that's the lie from the pit of hell. So since Peter connected being able to resist the devil with the knowledge of othering suffering saints, I want you, I challenge you in the spirit of perseverance to consider some ways, here's that practical application, that you could cultivate a greater awareness of the body of Christ this year, both locally and globally. So perhaps for you, it might be finally taking that step into joining a DNA or a life group or something that you have pulled out for a season. It's time to step back in so that you are not a part of the isolated ones. Rather, you are being reminded over and over again of your identity in Christ that is collective. Or it's time to present your true self in the communities that you're already a part of. And here's what I mean. It is incredibly easy, family, for us to find ourselves in the rhythm of Sunday church attendance, life group attendance, DNA group attendance, and to never to present ourselves to our brothers and sisters as who we really are. 
And so you could actually find yourself in all of those environments that God has given to us for our good and our edification in his church. We could find ourselves in every one of those environments and, and feel very alone. I imagine that every one of us have experienced that at some point. Could I tell you this morning that that feeling of isolation is the product of Satan, the devil, your adversary trying to drink you down. Resist it. Stand firm. Know that there's other brothers and sisters in this world, in this body that are suffering at the same time. Maybe it's time for you to consider what that looks like globally. There's brothers and sisters all over the world. You heard the story of Adoniram Judson. Pat and Kathy just got back from an amazing trip to Kenya. We thank the Lord for their, the providence in sending them there. Maybe it's time for you to sit down with Pastor Mike this year and to see what God might have for you in going to a mission trip overseas. Maybe he has for your family. There's a, there's a couple in McDonough that are working through the IMB process right now, if God would have it. They want to see themselves go uh, internationally and serve as missionaries. Maybe that's you. Or maybe God would just have you to cultivate a deeper understanding of what is happening globally in his church. And just like we do, usually monthly in the pastoral prayer time, just pray for unreached people groups. That's how Adoniram Judson caught a burden for the people of Burma. The devil would have you think that you're isolated and God would say, you're never alone. While it may be surprising, God is using your suffering to help you persevere, to make you look more like Jesus. Our final surprising ingredient to perseverance is this. It's patience. Patience. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 11, this is beautiful. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's some closing thoughts. Our world is broken. And because our world is broken with sin, we will suffer. Jesus promises us that. Suffering does not mean that we are out of the will of God. In fact, it often means that we are finding ourselves smack dab in the middle. Suffering is going to happen for the disciple of Christ. But I want you to keep this in proper perspective because the text bears this out. It's all gonna be over in a blink of an eye. This present suffering is going to be over in the blink of an eye with eternity in view, and then we'll be with Christ. If you make it out without being devoured, you will be glorified, justified, sanctified. Glorification is yours. It's true. Romans 8 bears this out, that if we are justified, then certainly we will be glorified. That is true. And one day there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more isolation. 
God is going to make things right. There's hope in Christ. And one day, this often shaky faith of ours in Christ will be found secure when he's revealed. So how do I get through my present suffering and continue the journey of perseverance? If God is inviting me to persevere so that I would look more like his son. How do I do it? One, place your faith in the secure object that is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus and his work on the cross is eternally secure. And Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, the resurrection happens. Jesus Christ is brought to life and he is a testament, the first fruits of what will be happening to us one day. Keep the end in sight. A few verses, John chapter six, verse 39, Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me that all that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, will not perish, but have eternal life, knowing that if you have faith in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus himself is the object, not anything else, not perfect circumstances, not good relationships within the body, not success in this life. If your faith is founded on Christ Jesus and his work alone, you will have security on the final day. No matter the amount of suffering, no matter the amount of adversity you face in this life, and God is using all of it. How much? All of it. How much? All of it to see that you would look more like his son, to see that you would persevere. Adoniram Judson possessed a vision for Burma that before his death, he wanted to translate the Bible into their language, and he wanted to see a Bible-based church planted with 100 disciples. That was the vision that he just kept before the Lord. God, if you would just allow me to be a part of something like this, and remember, he served for 12 years and saw how many converts? 18. Upon Judson's death... His Bible translation was complete and over 100 churches were planted with 8,000 Christians and 163 missionaries raised up out of Burma. Today, while there is still much work to be done, there are over 4 million Christians there. God used the perseverance despite tremendous opposition to bring light to the darkness in Burma, to change men, women, boys, and girls, and to make them more like his son Christ. Brothers and sisters, I know I'm confident as the scriptures testify that God is making you and he has placed you upon that same journey. If he has indeed justified you, you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus and 
Christ Jesus alone, then you are certainly in this process of sanctification. And God is using all things to make you look more like his son, Christ. And here's the deal. The suffering that you experience is a great blessing to brothers and sisters in this world. It's a great blessing. It is building up Christ's church. So you may not be personally responsible when the stories are all told at the end of the day. You may not have your name in one of the history books that Chris Brown was a part of seeing 100 churches and 8,000 believers come to faith in Christ. I, I, that may not be written about you, but I am certain that God in his kindness, if he has saved you, is doing a good work in your life, and he is using every single circumstance to make you look more like his son, Christ Jesus, and he's using it to bring about a great harvest in his church. What a beautiful thing to be a part of. Brothers and sisters, as you endure hardships, as your patience is tested, as you suffer, know again that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. What seems insignificant in your life and meaningless toil even may be serving to produce a tremendous harvest in the lives of countless others and is certainly making you look more like his son, Christ. And it is just a little while away. Just a little while away. Christian perseverance is an invitation to look more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh God, we thank you that you have given us the opportunity to sit under your word this morning as your people. What a gift it is to be reminded that it is not your desire that we would be isolated, alone, Christians who are just here by ourselves doing our things and suffering for no reason. But God, that you, as your children, you saved us, you've justified us, you've declared us legally yours, righteous in your sight, and you've placed us here in this process of sanctification where you continue to conform our will, our minds, our behaviors, our affections into what your son Christ Jesus is, into what he looks like. God, we thank you for the reminder that you're using all things for the good of those who love you. God, it is my prayer for our church, South Point, as you've called us, that we would be a people who would run after you with a great desire to persevere in the faith that you have delivered to us. That we would be a people who with great confidence would see the beautiful ingredients that make up perseverance. We thank you. We thank you for your son, Christ, who is our example, who meets us in our time of need. We thank you for hearing us, for taking every bit of our anxieties as we throw them on you 
And Father, we thank you that you are there as the devil is trying to drink us down. God, I'm thankful that for the Christian, he will not succeed. And there's hope on the final day. There's hope now for those of us in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Each week at South Point, we partake in a meal called the Lord's Supper. I talked about it just a bit ago. Jesus gathered with his disciples to explain to him what was about to happen, that these events were going to take place, that he was going to die on a cross at the hands of angry, stubborn, ignorant men. And this meal that I'm about to invite us to is only for Christians, those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus, those who have looked to Christ as the only singular object of their faith and say, Christ Jesus is the only reason that I have satisfaction before the Father. It is Christ Jesus and his work on the cross alone that I am justified and I am being sanctified and one day, I will be glorified. That's what this meal is, and that's what this meal is for. And so here's what I want you to hear from me just one last time pastorally. As we prepare to take this meal, we remember that it was Christ who lived a perfect life, a life that you and I, because of our sin nature, could not live. He died a death that you and I deserved to die because the wages of sin is death. He was buried, he was resurrected on the third day and he gave on the cross his blood and his very life for those of us who deserved death. And so when we take this meal, we aren't just doing it because we do it every single Sunday. We're remembering yet again until the Lord himself returns as we take the bread symbolic of Christ's body, and we dip it into the juice, which reminds us of his blood that was poured out for the new covenant. We remember what Christ has done. As we consider our perseverance in the faith this morning, let us remember that Christ allowed every single man at that table to partake of the meal the men who would moments after go to the garden of Gethsemane and would fail to do what he asked them to do. This meal isn't for those of us who have it together. It's a meal for those of us who are placing our faith in Christ Jesus and him alone. If that's you, celebrate this meal with us. There's grace for our shortcomings, failures, and sin. Christ Jesus himself bore the wrath for us on our behalf. And so as you persevere, as you take God up on his invitation into looking more like his son, remember in this meal what Christ has done for you. Come join us, eat.